Welcome to AFT in Action, a podcast for members of AFT Connecticut-affiliated local unions. We're approximately 30,000 working people in the public and private sectors, teachers and school support staff, nurses and healthcare workers, higher education faculty and public employees in nearly 90 unions across the state. The series provides a deeper dive into issues impacting our members and our movement as part of AFT Connecticut's engagement and communications efforts. Welcome, sisters and brothers. My name is Jan Hockado, and I am the president of AFT Connecticut, and I am once again co-hosting this latest episode of AFT in Action. So today I am joined by Allie Sexton, who is one busy lady. So let's see, Allie. In addition to a full-time job, you are the chair of AFT Connecticut's Legislative and Political Action Committee, which we call LPAC. You serve as a vice president on our state federation's executive committee, and you are a member of the Representative Assembly, or RA, for the Administrative and Residual Employees Union, better known as A&R, and also just happens to be AFT's largest public employee local. So, wow. I am so glad to have you as my co-host, Sally. Thanks, Jan. I am excited about these podcasts, and I am really excited about how they're going to be able to deepen our members' engagement. Exactly. And I hope you all had an opportunity to listen to our latest episode, where I was joined by the Speaker of the State House of Representatives, and we focused our conversation on the state legislature and questions that we have been receiving from members concerning school regionalization and the overall budget process. So for this next conversation, we thought that we would continue that discussion. Right, Jan, and you asked Speaker Eric Simonwitz what topic came up most often among our members at the regional legislative meeting he attended. I wasn't surprised when he said tolls. It's easily the highest profile issue at the state capitol during this 2019 session. At the same time, it's not necessarily the issue that comes to mind most for our members, that is educators, school support staff, higher education faculty, nurses, health professionals, public employees. Right, right. So I wanted to tackle the topic from their perspective and to put it in the context of the broader series of policies that we're advocating for. You know, as LPAC chair, that's something I'm always working toward. There's so many issues impacting us at any given time, too many for everything to be a number one priority, though we wish they could be. <laughs> Yet if they affect us at work, in our communities, our pocketbooks, they're important and they demand our attention and our action. So to answer our members' questions about the tolls and their role in Connecticut's fiscal health, we've asked a legislative leader to sit down and talk with us. State Representative Roland Lamar not only agreed, he, thank you by the way, invited us to the Transportation Conference Room here at the Legislative Office Building in Hartford. So Roland, thank you for being part of AFT in Action. We know it's a busy time here for you and your colleagues, so we appreciate you making time to answer questions for our members. Thank you for having me, Jan and Ali, and I appreciate you guys coming up to me today. Uh, and thank you for offering this service to your members. It's really a great way to ensure that we're getting to the heart of the issues that affect people here in Connecticut. Absolutely. So we want to talk about tolls and finances. As the House Chair of the General Assembly's uh, Transportation Committee and a member of the Finance, Revenue, and Bonding Committee, these are topics you are deeply involved in. And as Allie mentioned earlier, each year when the General Assembly is in session, we at AFT organize regional legislative meetings with lawmakers across the state. And tomorrow, we wrap up the last of our seven events for 2019. And so far, I can tell you, the topic that comes up more than any other is tolls. And at our New Haven area meeting, Trish, a retired state employee from Hamden, raised a frequently asked question. She asked Representative Josh Elliott about how tolls could help stabilize funding for other public services. Roland, can you address Trish's question, particularly since the current proposals would direct toll revenue to transportation infrastructure only right now? Yes, and thank you again for uh, 
Talking about Tolls so much at your meetings, I was sad to miss the meeting earlier this month. Largely, uh, my Saturdays are confined by baseball and hockey schedules with my kids. <laughs> of course. So, uh, sadly, was unable to join you. Uh, but do make it a point to be out there as frequently as I can. Um, so the state of Connecticut is going to be bound by both the federal law and our state constitution when it comes to toll revenues. Those will be protected via a lockbox. So we can only spend those revenues that arise from tolling on road infrastructure in Connecticut. But what people don't recognize is that for the last two decades, uh, Connecticut has often used its general funds, both its bonding obligations and its general fund uh, revenues, to support transportation needs. So while we're talking about the infrastructure needs of our state, and we'd love to rely on the gas tax and tolling to pay for it all, it has actually been the general fund that has been supporting uh, so much of the work that we've done. And freeing up those dollars so we no longer have to rely on the general fund will help ensure that the priorities in other areas are being addressed. Thanks, Representative Lamar. I work as an attorney at the state DOT, though as a quick disclaimer, I'm not representing the agency in any way here. But I'm often asked why we don't just put tolls on the borders to sort of catch out-of-state drivers using our roads. And I've explained, because I'm an attorney, that court cases have held that border tolls violate the Interstate Commerce Clause of the U.S. Constitution. But uh, Governor Lamont recently proposed discounts for state residents, which some see as a way to shift a greater share of the burden to out-of-state travelers. Um, Representative Lamar, what do the latest toll proposals look like and how would they work for Connecticut drivers? Yes, yeah, so there's been a lot of discussion about tolls over the last few years. Uh, we've narrowed down in the last few months exactly what a Connecticut tolling program should look like. Uh, there have been studies that different groups have done. We've um, commissioned through the State of Connecticut and Department of Transportation uh, some consultants to look at what we could and couldn't do under the federal laws and its provisions. Uh, we've narrowed down in the last few months what we think is the most responsible, cost-effective, and efficient program, uh, which is to only toll 91, 95, 84, and Route 15. Uh, this is the major thoroughfares through the state where congestion bottlenecks are really uh, uh, driving inefficiencies for both our business community and our workers who are trying to get to and from uh, their, their place of employment. And when we qualify for tolling in our state, it's under something called the value pricing program, congestion pricing. Uh, and we want to make sure that we are utilizing the program to its fullest effect. Uh, we think tolling those roads allows us to make significant infrastructure investments by charging people about 4.4 cents per mile, which would be the most cost-efficient uh, tolling system in the, in the Northeast, uh, at the same time would generate about 40% of its revenues from out-of-state residents. And we know that. Uh, I just went uh, to my, we're recording this a day after Easter, and I just visited my family in eastern Connecticut. And on the way back, we were stuck in traffic from about Old Saybrook all the way to New Haven. Uh, and uh, easily half of the cars that we saw were New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania plates. We know that toll roads in those areas will generate over 40% of its revenues from out-of-state folks. So we'll offer deep discounts, commuting discounts, uh, perhaps even tax deductions uh, to make sure that Connecticut res residents are paying as little as possible. Uh, but we do think it's an important contribution towards maintaining our road infrastructure. So a quick follow-up question to that. So earlier um, options had been for just uh, truck-only tolls, and it seems like we're not going in that direction, and we get some questions about what happened and why that is. Can you address that? Sure. And truck-only tolls 
bridge only tolls, out of state residents only. That's what I hear a lot of folks asking. Uh, we looked at each of those options. Uh, Department of Transportation, when working with their consultants, looked at potential options that included those three. Uh, and what we learned pretty quickly was the cost of infrastructure development for each of those options was almost as, almost as extraordinary as what we're doing for the system that we've proposed, one. Uh, two, that we have interstate commerce clause provisions uh, that prevent the unfair treatment of out-of-state folks only. Uh, and three, the revenue that we would gain would not be sufficient for the system uh, needs that we have. And frankly, and this is like a four, but um, frankly, everyone should have some obligation uh, given the nature and need of the investment that we have before us. The I-84 uh, mixed master uh, in Waterbury is about a $6 billion project on a conservative estimate, $6 billion. It's a series of uh, about a dozen bridges over uh, railroad tracks, over a river. Uh, they're all coming together in this large geographic area. It's really complicated engineering work, maintenance work, upgrade work. Uh, and if you want to talk about getting eventually from Danbury to Hartford um, in less than two and a half hours, <laughs> you're going to need to make that investment. And there are a lot of people who are driving that route every day um, who are going to benefit from the type of infrastructure investment that we need to make there. So asking folks to pay a dollar I don't think is unreasonable. Uh, and frankly, it's the only way it's going to get done. So we briefly touched on this topic in our last uh, po podcast and asked members to send us their questions. So we have a few for you. Um, let's start with Nancy, a state employee from Meriden, who sent us her comments opposing tolls. She fears that they will drive motorists off the major highways and onto secondary roads, increasing local traffic congestion. Can you address Nancy's concern and talk about the projected impact of the tolls on the com Connecticut commuters? Yes, and that is a great question, and it's, a, and it's a real concern. So thank you, Nancy, for highlighting it. Um, what we designed, again, was uh, an efficient system where we think 4.4 cents per mile. If you have a toll uh, every seven miles, you're paying about 30 cents as you go through a toll. And we don't think that that will cause people to get off the road and start utilizing local traffic uh, and local arteries, largely because the time you would lose uh, is far more than the 30 cents you would pay for that, for that toll. Uh, and, and I do think, let's be honest, we have over 300 bridges that are rated in poor, deficient uh, condition, over 200 of them in poor condition itself alone. Um, and I do think we need to be honest that the gas tax does not provide anywhere near the amount of revenue we need to make the types of investments uh, that are necessary at this point just to maintain safety. Mm -hmm. uh, never mind try to build the infrastructure of the future to get people uh, to and from work much more faster uh, and more reliably. And so I do think it's, it's reasonable for us to ask folks who are using our highways to pay a small amount. I don't want folks driving through the middle of Meriden or wherever <laughs> um, to get around tolls. So I think the system we've come up with is relatively inexpensive. Uh, and I, I don't think that people are going to jump off, get onto Route 1 or, or whatever local road in Meriden that you're most concerned about just to avoid a 30 cent toll on the highway. Thanks, Representative Lamar. And as I understand it, there's sort of a sweet spot they aim for in terms of uh, this price of tolls versus people getting off to do that. So um, another question I frequently hear is whether it's worth it for us to install tolls because aren't state taxpayers just going to have to repay federal funds if we institute tolls? Um, that sounds like it's a little bit in the weeds, but I, we hear it, uh, and I think it's important to set the record straight. Can you um, answer that for our members and talk about how federal transportation dollars support Connecticut roads and highways? 
Of course, and I hear it all the time too. There's a lot of misinformation out there um, that's complicating this conversation. We, of course, looked into this to make sure, uh, so I can say with 100% certainty that we will neither lose any federal funding if we institute tolls, uh, nor will we have to repay any federal funding if we institute tolls. Uh, Connecticut has already been pre-approved. We qualify under a value pricing program. Uh, we just have to, you know, get it enacted via the state Assem general assembly before we can fully move forward with it. Uh, but Connecticut has already seen the necessary waiver to begin developing this program. Uh, and inherent is that if we uh, meet the parameters of that federal program, we will not have to repay anything or uh, forego any federal funding. So Representative Lamar, um, in terms of out-of-state drivers, we all know that in other states they have easy pass, electronic tolling type of devices. And of course, last time we had tolls in Connecticut, we had to stop and pay tolls. Um, do you expect that any tolling program here in Connecticut will have those electronic tolls where you could use like an easy pass system? Yes, thank you. And I, I get this a lot. People have a sense that by having this conversation about tolls, that we would bring back those old-fashioned concrete bunker-style tolls <laughs> uh, that you saw in the 70s and 80s. Uh, in fact, uh, tolling technology has moved forward a great deal in the last 30 years since Connecticut last had tolls. We would institute um, an entirely electronic tolling system. So you would not see these uh, multi-million dollar roadway constructions that slow down traffic, get people stuck while they search for quarters in the ashtray. Uh, instead, we'll move to an easy pass system that you see in Massachusetts, New York, and in all of our surrounding states. It would be fully electronic. For folks who do not feel like getting an easy pass or they don't feel like providing uh, that information, uh, we will send in um, electronically, we'll still capture you coming through the toll, but we'll send you on a monthly basis a bill in the mail for the amount of charges that you accrued. Great. I know that's a question often asked by our members. We appreciate the uh, insights, Roland. If we could. Let's shift focus a bit now um, to some broader tax and revenue issues. At that same New Haven uh, area meeting, Carol, a retired teacher from Brantford, asked about budget balancing policies that would be fairer for the working families. She asked your finance committee colleague, Representative Sean Scanlon, what's being done to ensure the ultra-rich and profitable corporations pay their fair share? Since then, your committee has proposed raising revenue from investment income or capital gains, which would be a step in the right direction. Roland, can you talk more about how the capital gains tax would help close budget shortfalls and protect vital public services from the painful cuts? Certainly. And this is an issue I could talk to you about for an hour. Um, I think this is an incredible uh, equity conversation that we've foregone in the last uh, few decades, frankly, uh, since the enactment of the state income tax. is part of that deal, um, what really happened was the capital gains hedge fund managers, investment folks down in Fairfield County, in exchange for voting for the income tax, uh, decided to lower the capital gains tax for their residents. And it's a huge economic boon. So a lot of folks who are worth multiple millions to billions of dollars, you would think if they got an income tax, they'd be paying more. But the reality is they structured that agreement so that they actually paid less. Mm. A lot of these folks are... Uh, uh, paid under something called a 2 and 20. Um, they have a contract where they handle investment income and they're given 2% of the gains that they make for their client uh, as uh, a capital gains tax. Mm -hmm. um, uh, sorry, as, as their payment schedule. And then they pay capital gains tax rate on that, which is far less than average income uh, taxes for the same folks. So if, they, if that income was treated like real work, which it is, those folks tell you it's not luck, it's not an accident that they're good at their job, it's real work to sure. be a good investment manager. Mm -hmm. And we know that when you're, if you're good at something and, and, and you're rewarded 
for your work, you know it's work. Mm -hmm. So uh, the idea that they're being treated uh, as if this was just some, um, you know, capital gain that you know, just happened to them, it just happened to appreciate in value. You know, we know what capital gains are. That's not what this is, and it shouldn't be taxed the same. Uh, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars that Connecticut is foregoing by giving them this loophole, allowing them to be taxed at a much lower rate than average income would otherwise be. Uh, if Connecticut is able to treat these citizens the same way you or I are treated and how we are compensated for our work, uh, Connecticut would stand to gain enough money to fully fund uh, our pilot programs or to meet the requirements of our educational cost sharing agreements or to invest in after school programming. This, to me, is the equity conversation that we have missed for the last 20 years. States like New York, New Jersey, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, and Connecticut are all moving forward with this idea because we know it's about time that the rich paid their fair share. So we're really just getting back to where we were in the past. That's exactly right. It's yeah. exactly true that, that to folks at the higher income levels have gotten a really good deal for the last 50 years. Got it. Thank you for that. Well, our listeners now know why we tapped your policy expertise and firsthand experience for this discussion. Um, your answers to our members' questions will absolutely inform our union's legislative program. And thank you for sitting down with us and hosting us here at the Legislative Office Building. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Ali. I'm so glad that you're part of this latest podcast. And I can tell you that our entire executive committee appreciates your contributions, both to our state federation and the wider labor movement. Your work on our LPAC is particularly valued because what happens in the General Assembly affects so much of our work lives and our communities. Thanks, Jan. I was really glad to do it. It's another example of how you and I in union gets the facts and info needed to make us as a union even stronger. Agreed. And finally, I want to thank our members for listening to this latest episode. I hope the discussion was interesting and, more importantly, useful. And once again, I invite questions that you may have from our discussion today or our next episode, um, in which we will take on the subject of public-private partnerships, otherwise known as P3s. Privatization and outsourcing of public services is always a hot-button issue for our members, and right now there are numerous proposals circulating at the legislature and from the governor's office that could directly affect thousands of our members, making it particularly urgent topics. Send your questions today to actnetreply at aftct.org. That's A-C-T-N-E-T-R-E-P-L-Y at aftct.org. And thank you in advance. That's a wrap for this latest edition of AFT in Action. Additional episodes are available at our Podbean page and social media channels, all of which can be found at aftct.org. Like what you heard? Then share with fellow members and encourage they give it a listen too, and help build the power of the UNI in union.